Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs done well. I absolutely love this because, you know, if you own a home, it can be really hard to maintain. It's hard to find people that can help you for a big project or a small. Well, whether it's in everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality, it can be hard just to know where to start. But now all you need to do is answer that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish. Or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps, because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Hey, it's me, Colin, your beloved co-host of Sacred Symbols, a PlayStation podcast. I wanted to take a moment to thank you for downloading our show and for supporting us. If you like what we do, consider telling a friend or leaving us a nice review on a podcast service of your choice. And if you really like us, like really, venture on over to Patreon and subscribe to Colin's Last Stand. Doing so gains you access to the weekly Sacred Symbols supplemental podcast we call Sacred Symbols Plus. And you can also get ad-free access to every standard episode of the show, like the one you're listening to right now, three days earlier than the public. Other perks include submitting your inquiries and thoughts to be used on the show, and you can even determine some of the games we record Let's Plays for. I'll be frank, Colin's Last Stand's Patreon is a bonanza of value. And hey, we have merch too, so check it out at tinyurl.com slash sacredshirts. So consider showing your support if you can or even want to. But hey, if you want to just keep listening like you are right now, that's cool too. We love you either way. Enjoy the show. Greetings and salutations. Welcome back to Sacred Symbols, a PlayStation podcast. This is episode 65. My name is Colin Moriarty. I'm joined as always by Chris Death Stranding. Raygun. Chris, how are you? Today? Death Stranding? Yeah. Oh, okay. I don't know. I just it was on the state of play stream. <laughs> yeah, I was we thinking about it. you. I was thinking about it. It's <laughs> basic word association. Yeah, just very simple word association. Remember the game, the card game memory? Did you play that when you were a kid? Where A little bit. It yeah. was like the deck of cards, but then there was two pictures of something and you had to kind of remember where they I were. I hated that game. Well, that might be why you don't have a very good memory. That is probably accurate. Because that game was very literally named. Yeah, I don't like memory. it. Memory. Memory. Chris, how are you today? I'm doing all right. Yeah. Not too bad. We just watched the state of play. We did. And now I'm glad that we waited for it because there was some big news in there. Yeah. We, we've been burned in the past by waiting for these state of play streams to show us something and they don't show us anything. But this was a big one. Mm-hmm. A lot of interesting information in here, um, including some free PlayStation Plus games that we're going to be getting and other important pieces of information. So we're going to get into all of that along with all the other news 
that we have to get through as well. But first, let's get through some, what do they call this unusual podcast, like housekeeping? I guess. I don't really like that. I don't really like that term, but Sacred Symbols Plus rolls on. Remember, you can support our show here on Patreon, patreon.com slash Collins Last Stand to get every episode ad-free and three days before public feeds, including this episode. Sacred Symbols Plus is our supplement only for Patreon uh, Patreon members of any level. And last week, we put up a really fun mailbag that went into a lot of stuff. This week, I'm going to do a solo kind of episode. And this was actually what I wanted to do from the beginning in Mm. a way. We haven't done it yet. I think this would be like the seventh or eighth episode of Sacred Symbols Plus where you would just do one or I would just do one or we would do ones together. And so this is actually kind of the first realization of that intent. Chris doesn't know The Last of Us as well as I do. And I really want to jump in and be able to get really nerdy and hardcore into the minutia of The Last of Us with the audience, particularly with what we just saw from The Last of Us 2, kind of take everything together. So I'm going to put up a thread for everyone. You can, can submit your questions, comments, concerns, thoughts and ideas that will be live around the time that this goes live on Patreon. Hell so you yeah. can have that to look forward to. Now, combined with the fact that the episode of Knockback that's going live this week, my retro podcast, is about The Last of Us, and it's a three-hour long podcast about it with my brother Dagan. This is a Last of Us extravaganza. Yeah, it's a hell of a lot of Last of Us. Well, let's it's celebrate. It's several of us, really. It's at least three of us, according to the... Or three podcasts of us. <laughs> so look forward to that, please. Chris, I also wanted to let everyone know that... So this is episode 65... Episode 66 will be the week after. I think I may have a little wrong in my notes. So episode 67, mm-hmm. I'm going to be in New York on Long Island at a family reunion. So we're not going to be able to record the, this particular episode. I'm trying to think. Is it episode? So 65, 66. Yeah. So six, episode 67 will go live on Wednesday, October 9th instead of Tuesday, October 8th. So I just wanted to let everyone know about that ahead of time. So you're not too worried about it. We'll inverse the publishing of Fireside Chat so you have something to listen to. But that just can't be avoided. Yeah. Going to go home and see my family. Will Hahn wrote into us, Chris, and said, what up, Colin and Chris? Hope life is treating you reasonably. It's interesting. <laughs> That's an interesting word to use. It's about all I can expect. Yeah. IGN put out an article not so long ago about the white phosphorus in Call of Duty Modern Warfare once again being controversial. I guess it was interesting to see an actual soldier's perspective on the so-called issue of the kill streak reward being in the game. He's actually a Marine. I know that some people are sensitive about that. Yeah. Although I still can't help but laugh to myself that journalists and others can't simply seem to separate a game from reality, especially since this white phosphorus topic has been brought up in other major outlets. Frankly, fiction is fiction, and you have to let creators make what they want to make, especially if it's relevant to the gameplay. I respect IGN, but when I saw that article, I couldn't help but question why these topics are being written about over and over again. Has original reporting seemed to have been somewhat of a relic these days now? Definitely seems like it to me. Thanks, as always, for great content, and have a great Tuesday. Thank you so much. I appreciate you. Well, did you see this article on IGN? I did, yeah. What did you make of it? I I didn't really have that much of a problem with it, honestly. I was, I was reading it, and it didn't come across as somebody who was like, they shouldn't use it. It was more coming across as somebody with experience in like the field that you know Modern Warfare has to do with, obviously, Marines and like war and shit. And it seemed like, based on... The perspective that was in the article was essentially what I got out of it was because Infinity Ward is making a big deal about how this is a very mature Call of Duty or how this is like specifically kind of like, you know, taking things up a notch. It would be cool if they used like if they were going to use white phosphorus, they would do it in a more mature way is what I took away from it, which I don't necessarily disagree with, I guess. But I I don't I didn't really get the sense that he was trying to make it so they couldn't use it in the game. Right. I didn't really get that from the article. Yeah, this article created quite a hubbub. I actually I posted about it a couple of times in in response, excuse me, to a couple of people. And 
my big thing was that it just seemed to be getting really personal for no reason. This is yeah. on both sides. I'm like, it's just an article about a video game. My my opinion on the article is that it wasn't exceptionally well written and mm. didn't really seem to have a cogent thesis. That was my major problem with it was I was like, what is the point? What are you like? What are you trying to say? I read it a couple of times and it just seemed to be a, a lot about his military record and then about how white phosphorus is in the game, which seems to ignore a lot of the other realities or unrealities, and not only this new Call of Duty, but in previous Call of Duty games. And that was my major thing. It's like, the, this is a game that introduces tactical nuclear blasts. Yeah, and yeah. All sorts of things. I don't really understand how white phosphorus is, per se, a more harrowing thing to have experienced digitally. And that was my major takeaway from that particular article that our listener brought up here. I don't think it was like, didn't need to be written. I don't think it's not a, a valid point of view. I just think it wasn't, I don't think the argument was made very well. I think that it could have been edited more tightly. Now, this guy's not a writer, right? So yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm not like trying to insult his his writing shops. He's not going to, he's not a writer. But yeah, I ultimately don't necessarily agree with the idea that it shouldn't be in the game. But I don't necessarily think that that was what it was saying. I, th I do think if the game is going to make this grandiose statement about like, we're a more mature Call of Duty gamer. This is going to be like a little bit more, you know, real than I guess. I don't know. Using white phosphorus as a kill streak, I could understand why that could be a little bit at odds with the general philosophy of the overall pillar of design. Right. But, aren't but they at the same time, it's like it, it is ultimately like, is it worse than a nuke? No, arguably not. It's also not worse than any other thing like Agent Orange or other yeah, exactly. know, heinous things that have been in video games. And obviously it'd be cool life. if it was a kill streak that affected all players on the field. That'd be kind of neat. Sure. Because that would get. Both messages go, they'd be like, hey, this is a pretty harrowing thing to use, and you could still use it. Yeah, like indiscriminately use it. Yeah. Yeah, that would be pretty interesting. That's a really good idea. But when I hear about Infinity War talking about and Activision talking about the new Call of Duty game being more mature and more realistic, I think they're talking about the campaign. I don't necessarily think because that was my major thing oh, when for I walked sure, away yeah. from it. I'm like, there's we're talking about the realism or lack of realism in a death match. I don't understand. Yeah, yeah, this, no. this is not what they're <laughs> I don't think this is what they're talking about. So that was right. why No, for sure. That's why I think the article really was a huge miss from the, it just needed an editor, a person who knows how to write and can take someone's guest column and make it into a more cogent argument. That was my problem with it. It's not that an argument that couldn't be made. It just wasn't made. That was my big gripe with it. But I was a little surprised by how pe how combative people were about it. Like, it really doesn't matter. Right. It yeah, really it was really weird. It really doesn't matter. Well, the gyro on my phone is getting all fucked up here. All right. Here we go. Ruben Barrett wrote in us. Said, hi, Colin and Chris. Gotta say, I've really been enjoying the show. So of late and it keeps getting better and better. I don't know what that means. I've been really been enjoying the show as of late. I think he meant as of late. Yeah, I have one question, though, Colin. Can we please get an update on your burger centric OMAD diet? Well, I can give you a little bit. of OMAD. Yeah, OMAD is one meal a day. And I've been trying to do this for like over a month now when you just eat once a day and then there's no caloric intake anywhere else outside of like that half an hour or hour. Have you been doing that? I have been. And it's it's interesting, like. I have like a, like last night I had two salads in like a half an hour that I got from Sweet Green. I love that place. And the day before my brother was here, so I was kind of off the diet. But generally speaking, I just order like pretty bad food at night <laughs> and just eat it all within like a 15 or 20 minute period. And then I don't eat or drink anything except for water for the rest of the time. And it seems to be working out. My weight's going up a little bit, but I think that's because my brother was here and I wasn't really strict on it. So now I got to kind of reacclimate into to, into the OMAD diet. But I, hey, I'm no nutritionist or scientist of any kind, so don't take my advice for it. But I, I'm quite enjoying this OMAD diet. I'm not really hungry when I wake up or during the day. I can easily go until the nighttime without eating. Oh, yeah. I forget to eat often. Like, I'll, re I'll be editing and then I'll realize, oh, I feel immense evolutionary pain. Right. <laughs> and I have to be like, okay, I should probably do something about this. 
And then you do. And, and then, then you I have, do. You have yourself something a little scrumptious. And then I get like the fastest thing available, which is usually the worst thing. Yeah. yeah. But also the best thing. Chris, let's get into what we're playing. Yee. We're both playing Borderlands 3 still. I'm wondering if you have any new input on it that we didn't talk about last week. Uh, not really. I don't like the villains still is really the only thing. It's like the villains are still not selling me. But aside from that, it's it's still more Borderlands. I'm enjoying it as I play more of it. I'm trying to play more of it with uh, my roommates who just who just picked it up. So it's like I'm trying to spec out new characters. I'm doing Moe's now, which I'm not sure how I feel about. She's the, the turret mech character. Interesting. Yeah, she plays a little bit weird. I don't know if I like it all that much, but it's it's a good game still, I think. Yeah, I like it too. I, I wish it ran better still. I wish it ran better. My God, I can't believe it. Yeah, it gets a lot of these patches. It also gets a lot of these inconspicuous like in-game updates. Have you noticed that? Where the game, you yeah, pause the game or whatever, and it tells you to like restart it to accept these updates. It seems to be happening pretty often. Yeah, yeah. It's a little weird. But I do keep running into this peculiar bug on the mission screen where the missions are listed and then it keeps bumping my cursor up to the top when a new person enters into one of those missions. And I have a lot of friends on my friends list, so I think that that's really fucking everything up for me. So that's kind of annoying. It's kind of an annoying little bug. And this is why I said back in the day that when multiplayer is tested at these different studios, they should automatically fill the consoles to have 2,000 friends and all those kinds of things just to see at the worst case scenario how these things run and then kind of work your way backwards from there. So I don't think that they were able to really do that with this game. And it's still, yeah, broken and sluggish in a lot of ways, but I haven't spent too much time with it in the last days because... A lot has come out. Yeah, a lot has... Well, my brother Dagan was here. Much has come out. I'm kind of wanting to move on to other games as well. Yeah. And I'm playing Castle Crashers too. I forgot. I I started that last night. Still great. Still love it. I'm sure. Oh, man. And then uh, I've been playing Cuphead actually a lot on my Switch. So that's been distracting me as well. Great game. Yeah, fantastic. Hopefully we'll see that one day on PlayStation, but I don't know that we will. I've also just wanted to... uh, I've been playing Tales of Hearts R still, which I've been playing for a while. I wanted to give it a shout out because I hadn't played it at all in like a couple weeks or more than that. And role-playing games really need to do something that this Tales game does, which is in Tales games, there's always these random conversations you can have by hitting select. It'll tell, have like a little thing in the corner of the screen and you know that the characters want to talk to each other. So you hit select and then there's like a conversation that happens that you can otherwise miss. And this is like a thing that happens in most of the games throughout the games. But the cool thing they do too is that once you go through all the conversations that are applicable or can happen at that one time, they keep select in the corner and it basically is a reminder of where you have to go. And this is a great and simple feature for when you walk away from a role playing game, because the joke is always like if you play a JRPG or an action RPG and you walk away for a few days, it's like really hard to remember what you were doing or where you're going. Yeah, Little things like this. That's really smart. Philosophies like this, I think, are really cool. So that was a, allowed me to reintegrate and re-ingratiate myself back into the world. That's a great idea. Are. Yeah. So I like that. Something simple. We always talk about simple design. Yeah. And I wanted to give that a shout out. That's smart, too. Adam Laws wrote into us, said, hey, Colin and Chris, just started playing Borderlands 2 which is my first Borderlands, and I have never been so torn with a game. I think the gunplay is great. It's nowhere near as frenetic and hard for me to grasp like Call of Duty, but everything else about it is terrible. The writing (laughs) is pretty bad, but my biggest annoyance is how it just drops you into the game without any real explanation on how to play. It gives you way too many options up up front without really explaining them, like healing. Are there any other games that come to mind that you felt this way about, and should I bother with Borderlands 3? Chris, what do you think? Should you bother with Borderlands 3? I don't know. I guess if you don't like Borderlands 2, I don't think you're going to like Borderlands 3. I can't conceive in a universe in which you would like Borderlands 3 if you don't like Borderlands 2. I think Borderlands 2 is arguably a better game than Borderlands 3. Yeah, I would say say so too. It definitely runs better. Yes. (laughs) For sure. Now, I'm a little surprised by Adam's 
assertion here about it not really teaching you how to play. There's not that much to learn in the game. I'm a little confused about what you're missing, Adam. It's intimidating in the sense that it, there's a lot of numbers that you have to account for, but beyond that, it really is just walking around, running, and shooting, and a and a generic kind of skill tree. It's not really that complicated. I don't know. If it's not your cup of tea, you're definitely not going to like the third one. <laughs> no, there's just no more reason. of this. Because this is more of the same, except it runs a little bit worse. Yeah, and it's way bigger, which I think is actually not a good thing. Like, I think Borderlands 2 when you really think about it, it's kind of the perfect size. And I like the gunplay and I like that the story's not really in your face and it gets you right into the gunplay and the gameplay and kind of leaves you alone. That's kind of what Borderlands is to me. So you're definitely not going to like Borderlands 3 if you don't like Borderlands 2. Now, if you don't, let me see, if you like Borderlands 2, it's possible that you're not going to like Borderlands 3, but it can't go the other way. I don't think that that would make any sense. Yeah. John Kiskalt wrote into us and said, greetings, CNC. After listening to another podcast where Colin is disappointed in a major release, this time Borderlands, I have to wonder if your expectations are just too high. I've noticed when a smaller title turns out better than expected, you are high on it and forgive some of the issues that you mentioned in some of the bigger titles. Have we gotten to a point where we expect so much out of AAA games that even smaller issues ruin the experience? The UI or map issues in Borderlands hasn't hampered my experience at all, but made you close to saying you dislike the game. It seems Chris can forgive these issues and still enjoy a game much easier than you can. Thanks for all you do and keep rocking in the free world. Hmm. What do you think? Do you think I'm too hard on these uh, AAA games, Chris? No, I just <laughs> I think we have different tastes. I think that's literally what it comes down to. I'm a big uh, looter shooter guy, which is I don't, I don't I'm not sure that you're that into them. No, they're fine. Like like yeah, exactly right. Like I think the biggest one was the the, the division two. Yeah, you, I like right? the division. That was like the the exception to the rule for you. But I and I also just played it because I think it's fun to play. I don't really care about the no loot, exactly right? right. So like I'm like a Destiny guy. I really love Destiny. It's like a big thing for me. So, like, Borderlands 3 is just, like, a single player, or like, more of a co-op-centric destiny with better guns. So, like, I'm a lot more into the experience than I guess. The the UI actually probably frustrates me infinitely more than it probably frustrates you. Because this shit bothers... Performance is a big thing for me. If something runs at, like... I can handle 30 frames per second. I can handle that shit. It's no, not a big deal. But when it's inconsistent, when it's, like, 24 frames, 30 frames, 21 frames, 35 frames, and it's like, what am I... What is happening? And it's just because it becomes painful and it, it becomes like kind of just unforgivable to me. Right. So I just think it's just the genre of the game is just more my style, I guess. I don't necessarily think that you're too hard on triple <laughs> A games. It's weird. Yeah, I don't know. I, I also think that I just have really good taste in games. Right. And Chris doesn't. So I, don't, I don't know. That's another thing that you have to keep in mind. But you didn't like Sekiro, which is which would which is an argument against that, I guess. Yeah, I also feel like. These issues in Borderlands, uh, the, well, there's like a relationship between the more expensive and the bigger a game is. I'm not saying in terms of buying it, but I'm, in terms of making it and the marketing budget, you just have higher expectations. So, yeah, when a smaller game comes out and it, it surpasses expectations because it was made by four people, that is kind of a relevant part of, of the equation. And I yeah. don't think I've played a game that's frustrated me in any realm of creation, whether big or small, indie, triple A, whatever. In some time that has frustrated me as much as Borderlands 3 has just from the UI and all that kind of stuff. And the people that are saying that they haven't run into any issues with this, I, I just find that really hard to believe. I'm sorry. Like, I don't understand how you can be playing the same game I'm playing and using the same console in the same world and not run into these hitches. Yeah. It's happening to almost everyone. That's the thing that frustrates me when people are like, well, I'm not, and I'm not saying, I'm not trying to call out John here specifically, but when people are like, I'm not having any problems, it always happens when I complain about PS4 Pro. I'm like, no, I'm lying. I'm <laughs> yeah. lying about it. You, you're, I you haven't had your any experience problems. is great. And my experience. So 
I don't know. I, I have high expectations out of a game that took seven years to come out and should be running better than this. And I'd yeah. rather have static, clean screens that don't hitch and make the frame rate drop and cause all sorts of problems. It's just not. Sorry, guys. It can't be that hard to make this stuff work right. It's just becoming too flashy and too overproduced. And I think Borderlands, yeah, I, if anything, is overproduced. Yeah, I agree. Way I'm, too much in it. I don't understand why it has to have so much shit. We were talking even a little bit about that that mode or those unlockable statistics that happen after you beat the game. Like From a design perspective, why is that even in the menu right now? Why would you slow down the menu for this when I can't even use it? And I won't be able to use it for a long time. On There's split just screen, things. it's even worse because apparently the UI, because the UI lags your game when you're playing by yourself. So when on split screen and both of you are going through your inventories, it becomes like there's like a five second delay and it's like clearly not tested at all. It's horrible. Like it's barely an alpha build of split screen that is in the current release of the game. I just don't think, Chris, that you can expect that Borderlands 3, not you, but the Royal you can expect that Borderlands 3 is going to run well when they clearly went out of their way not to give the game to anyone. They gave people only PC builds, only certain outlets got it. You can read into that, read into it. If they were really proud of the game from a fidelity standpoint, from a technical standpoint, it would have been in everyone's hands very early. And and my hope is, is that they, they're able to fix it, but the game is broken right now. It's not broken like catastrophically, but the game's crashed on me like 10 times. In performance mode, it still crashes, although not as much. It always crashes when I'm quick traveling. The quick travel system itself is terrible. Yeah, I don't like the. Yeah, uh, I, I don't like I, it either. I just want to play I, the game. I will say I haven't crashed yet, but I, I've always been playing on performance because I, I, I can't not. The crashes were much worse on the texture mode, whatever the fuck it's called. Yeah, I, I, I could see that happening. All right, Chris, let's get into the news. This is what everyone wants, especially on the back of this state of play. Right. But before we do, Kendrick Luchenbach wrote into us. Kendrick Luchenbach. Luchenbach. Says, hey, Colin and Chris, hope the message finds you well following the state of play. Well, it found us okay. What are your guys' thoughts? Call of Duty actually looks cool and The Last of Us 2 looks incredible, but everything in between wasn't great. I'm not sure if the state of play streams are accomplishing what a direct does for Nintendo. It seems like Sony could have just dropped the, the Last of Us 2 trailer with a press of, while the press event is going. We won't get into any of the specifics here, but Chris, from a high end, how do you think they did today? Of the state of plays, I thought it was probably the best one. Yeah, I agree. But I do agree that like I don't really know if I get the reason for these. You know, it just feels kind of... They always feel like they come, and even if they're really good, they just sort of like peter out, and it's just like this lady who's just like, thanks for watching. And then you're just gone, and you're like, all right, well, yeah, I, I guess I, that was it, I guess. I don't understand the strategy. See, here's why I think having so much disparity between the releases of first party, while good for us, is bad for optical reasons to be able to really like burst out and, and have something impressive and why I think Sony's kind of sacrificing of their relationships with all these great indie studios has really hurt them because now they can't flesh this stuff out yeah. anymore. Like Nintendo is so apt at fleshing things out with their third party and indie publishing relationships as well as all of their first party stuff. So I appreciate that Sony's trying and I want for them sure. to keep trying because I think that this is, a, this is a nice way to control the message for them and to get everything out there. But, and I like even the tight runtime of like 15 or 20 minutes. I think that's kind of cool. Like, yeah, this is, what do you have to sit here for fucking two hours you know watching what, this? You know what's something I think that is playing into it? It's the fact that Nintendo usually does these things and they have a person there that you can kind of like, I don't know. It, 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 I think seeing a person mm. helps a bit. It's a good point. There's something about just seeing like an, an automated slideshow that just sort of feels a bit, I don't, I don't want to say generic, 
but it does come across as just sort of like, oh, I guess this is this is almost like it feels like filler, I guess. Yeah. In a weird way, even if there's some substantial stuff in it, like the release date for The Last of Us or something like that. Right. And uh, I will say that I like that idea of having like a character you can glean onto. Now, just fucking someone. I like the PlayStation blog guys. I don't think it really can or should be them because I, I I've said this before. And I don't mean it as an insult that you can't believe any not that there would be anything critical on state of play about PlayStation or anything like that, but. They're in the tank, right? I want someone that's unknown, that's hired to do this or whatever. Yeah. Like, or get Kevin Butler. Like, even a Greg Miller <laughs> or something like that would work for this, right? Like, get someone that's passionate, yeah. that can do it, even rove or rotate hosts and have. Yeah, I like that idea a lot. I think you're absolutely right because Sony's lacking what Nintendo has in spades, which are like different characters. Now, some of their personality. Characters, yeah, some of their yeah. characters have died or, or retired, Awada passed away and Reggie Reggie's gone now but they're there it looks like they're trying to like that Bowser guy is kind of trying to come in and and others so I agree with you I think that they Sony had that for a while with uh, Shuhei which they threw into a box somewhere and sent them back to Japan I guess we don't see him anymore yeah, what and the hell? so I don't know what that's all about and Kevin Butler obviously that that exploded spectacularly yeah. in elite for legal reasons he was in a Wii commercial right right and he got <laughs> sued by Sony and all that kind of, which I, he wasn't it wasn't even a Wii commercial I think it was a Bridgestone commercial for the tires that had a Wii in it and they were wow. like, and, and so that was the end of that that's messed up I love Kevin Butler I thought he was great yeah and they tried oh. to do that with PSP what was his name PSP Travis or whatever he was like the young black kid P- PSP Marcus it was like a black kid on a bus with the PSP and they tried to do all that kind what of the stuff. Hell? I don't remember that PSP at all. The PSP, I remember, had the squirrels. That's what I remember. Yeah, from they PSP. had that, too. We didn't relate to the squirrels. Though. No, I didn't. <laughs> Definitely not. All right, Chris, let's go into the news. Number one, PlayStation 4 exclusive The Last of Us Part 2 finally has a release date. The game launches on February 21st, 2020. A new trailer played during Sony's recent State of Play live stream showed off more of the game and gave us a small glimpse into the story. But the biggest piece of news apart from the release date, however, is that Joel very much seems to be alive and in the game, something we didn't know for sure would happen. In a blog post, Naughty Dog's Neil Druckmann, the game's creative director and now VP of Naughty Dog, said in part, quote, We began working on this game over five years ago. It's hard to describe the immense pressure of following up the first game, ellipsis. What we realized pretty early on is that we were putting together Naughty Dog's most ambitious and longest game in our 35-year history. To tell this kind of story, the game needed to be massive, end quote. As such, it appears The Last of Us Part Two will come on two Blu-ray discs, not one. Not surprisingly, with the release date, Sony has also announced that five, yes, five different editions of The Last of Us Part Two. Uh, you, that you have to choose from when you want to buy. There's your normal standard and digital editions, which is the normal game with some digital extras like pre-order bonuses. The special edition comes with all of that, plus a steelbook and an art book from Dark Horse. The collector's edition comes with a 12-inch statue of Ellie, Ellie's bracelet, the steelbook, the art book, a half dozen enamel pins, an art print, and some stickers. And finally, the Ellie edition comes with everything the collector's edition comes with, but you also get her backpack, a patch, a vinyl record soundtrack, and more. So, Chris, what do you make of all of this? The special editions, the release date, Joel's inclusion in the game in some respect, Neil Druckmann's conversation about it being ambitious and big. It's two Blu-rays. That's exciting. I like that because the last game that was two two Blu-rays that I played was one of my favorite games of the year, so. Which was uh, Red Dead, Red Dead Two, which I didn't even know was on two two discs because we had the download. Yeah, we had code. the digital download. Although my, it was huge, wasn't it? Like seventy gigs. It was or insanely like big, yeah. but like my roommate brought it home, and it was the first. I was like, "Whoa, they still do the two discs? It's insane." Yeah, on the on the opposite side of the yeah, uh, it's so cool. Plastic. But uh, no, I'm I'm looking forward to it, man. It it looks cool. I don't know if I care that much about all the editions. I mean, you know, whatever. I'm probably just gonna get the normal one. Yeah, me Not too. That you know, I actually sold all my. Uh, Last of Us swag recently, so yeah, and traded them for GI Joes, of course. So <laughs> of yeah, course. I don't because I, I had the the special edition. Uh, I forget what it was. It was like Joel and Ellie, 
statue. It's like actually really valuable. Yeah. And it's just sitting here. I'm like, I don't really want this. I, I don't need all of this shit. I need all that shit. I'm pointing at my schedules, but I don't need all of this other shit. So I'm with you. I just want the digital version of the yeah. game. But I'm excited about it. It's cool. Me too. I'm glad we have a date. Me too. Finally. Now, the game is being, as we're recording this at Sony Santa Monica, media and others have been invited to play three hours of the game. And we were not invited. Mm -hmm. Sony has ignored all my emails about that, about Concrete Genie, about Blood and Truth, about Medieval, about Death Stranding. And I actually finally emailed them yesterday and said, listen, if we're not going to work, if you don't want to work with us, can you just have the professional courtesy to tell me that so I don't email you constantly and embarrass myself by thinking that you're reading and caring about my emails? But in reading that they're playing three hours of the game, I was kind of relieved we're not we're not invited because I don't want to fucking play three hours of The Last of Us Part Two. I don't even want to play an hour of it. I was hoping at very least that they were just going to show it running or something like that. So I'm actually I was kind of kind of dodged a bullet there because I really have no interest in playing the game for three hours. I'll play yeah. it when it comes out. Yeah, because then you're just going to leave and you're be like, damn, you know, now I got to wait several months. Yeah, I have this out of context sliver. See, when I was at IGN and I used to have to preview games a lot more, I used to get, get really annoyed when I'd play the final game because then you get to the point of the game, whatever sliver or vertical slice they showed you. And you're like, all right, well, I know how this happens. I don't know how they connect to each other, but. Here I am, and now I have to do this again. It's a little boring. I hate previews. Yeah. Can't stand them. So I'm excited about this. I'm really looking forward to it. And I think the release date is actually uh, sooner than I thought. And only, uh, let's see, like two and a half months between Death Stranding and The Last of Us Part 2. Oh, yeah. So. All right. About three months. So, yeah, they're going to start coming out quick. Now, Ghost of Tsushima is the next one we're really going to be interested in. But obviously, we'll keep a keen eye out on The Last of Us Part 2. And remember, just to reiterate what I said at the top, I will be doing an episode of Solo, episode of Sacred Symbols Plus with much of your inquiries, many of your inquiries, I guess I should say, much doesn't make any sense in that in that context. All about The Last of Us, all about The Last of Us Part 2. We're going to get really into it, so please look forward to it. It's kind of fascinating that Death Stranding is coming out before The Last of Us Part 2. Yeah, that doesn't make any sense. That's so That's so bafflingly strange. My skepticism about Death Stranding is eternal. I just wanted to let you all know that. We'll see what it all what, what happens. <laughs> we'll talk about the Death, the death Stranding in, a, in just a minute. Matthew O'Sullivan wrote into us on Patreon, though, and said, Hi, Colin and Chris. This has sort of been touched on in several recent episodes, but I want to ask the question outright. Should Naughty Dog make a first-person shooter? I doubt they would have any trouble attracting FPS talent from other studios, and they've already and they're already the masters of both the set piece and storytelling. There are plenty of great shooters out there, but few, in my opinion, that manage to deliver an exceptional story. Do you think this is possible or just a pipe dream? Thanks from a new patron. Matthew wants to know if Naughty Dog should move on to FPSs following the release of the the TPS. Yeah, Last of Us Part it two. would be the. I mean, I guess it would be the one of the few things that they haven't done. Aside from like a sports game, and I don't think anybody wants to see that. No. I'd be down to see it. I, I wonder how they would translate it, though, because I think, honestly, as far as all the Naughty Dog games go, shooting's probably the least great thing in them, I think. So, uh, maybe? I'm sure if they put, like, literally all their design behind it, they could probably figure out something pretty pretty cool. Where do they have left to go, really? I don't know. I don't know that they really should go anywhere else. That's my major concern. I really think we have to see about how this game plays out before we yeah. before we have any desire to see them do something else. I'm not saying do another series. I, I, I would, or another game in this series, rather, I would imagine this is definitely going to be the last Last of Us game for yeah. a long time, and it seems like they've packed a lot into it to make sure no one asks for another one, although they will anyway, of course. I don't know. I'm happy to see them in the third-person action realm. This is their masters of this. Mm-hmm. Sony's internal engine Decima runs first person shooters obviously very well. Killzone ran on Decima, but I don't know that it's too early to say what Naughty Dog needs to do. They need someone making first person shooters. 
I don't know that you need oh, Naughty Sony, Dog. Yeah. yeah, someone's got to do it. I, I don't know if it's going to be a second team of Gorilla or whatever the case might be, but they don't have anything in that realm right now, which is a problem. But I don't think Naughty Dog's the team to do it. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs done well. I absolutely love this because, you know, if you own a home, it can be really hard to maintain. It's hard to find people that can help you for a big project or a small. Well, whether it's in everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality, it can be hard just to know where to start. But now all you need to do is answer that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish. Or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps, because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. Don't you love an extra $100 in your pocket? Have a TurboTax expert file your taxes for you by March 31st to get $100 back instantly. Because no matter what moves you made last year, TurboTax makes them count. That means getting $100 back and 100% accurate taxes only from Intuit TurboTax. Must file by 331. Credit only applicable to federal filing fees with TurboTax full service. Offer can be modified or terminated at any time. Number two. During its State of Play stream, Sony revealed a brand new limited edition PlayStation 4 Pro model dedicated to Death Stranding, the Hideo Kojima-led PS4 exclusive due out on November 8th later this year. The console is white with black handprints on it, and it comes with a translucent orange controller that seems to mimic the weird orange plastic around the baby containers in the game. Not surprisingly, this PS4 Pro Special Edition will launch alongside the game itself. The cost of the bundle with the game in the console will cost $399.99 in the U.S. or your local equivalent. Whatever kind of fake money you use in, yeah. say, Austria. <laughs> so that's a thing. Or Zimbabwe. That controller looks nice, I will say. It's pretty cool. Yeah. I like translucent controllers. It reminds me of a lot of the ones on the PS2 yeah. that they released back in the day. I had a blue one. Remember the third-party Mad Cats one, the, the wireless ones that were translucent? Yeah. <laughs> really terrible. But <laughs> I was always put off by third-party accessories. Me too, yeah. Since I was a little kid, I don't know why. I just always felt like I was getting something fake. No, for sure. Like you got it at like a flea market or something, right? And I had a, I had a PS One third party memory card and admit, like around Final Fantasy Seven and all that 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 did shit the bed. And never again did I ever buy a third party peripheral or get anything your like Mad that. Cat's six axis controller along with a, a, a bootleg copy of Shrek Two. It's too much to ask for me. I don't want people to ask so much for me. <laughs> Number three, Sony gave some love to PlayStation VR during the State of Play stream, announcing a couple of games for the device, as well as confirming some release dates and windows. Perhaps most interesting is that Rockstar created a new PSVR game in the L.A. Noir universe called L.A. Noir The VR Case Files. Better yet, it's available to purchase right now. Sony also showed off a shooter called Aspire One VR Operative, which launches soon. Stardust Odyssey, which launches this winter. After the Fall, which launches in 2020. And they previously announced Space Channel 5 VR, kind of funky newsflash which comes out later this fall. Did any of those PSVR games strike you, Chris? Well, they also showed Gorn, which is which is Oh, cool, that's right. Yeah. Which is like a gladiator kind of beat-em-up <laughs> VR thing. It's really cool. 
That I have that on uh, on Vive, and it's a lot of fun. So I, I assume because it was on the showcase that it's going to come to PSVR. So I would recommend that one because that's a whole lot of fun. Really dumb. I don't know anything about this Aspire 1 game, but I thought that looked pretty cool. It looks like a VR stealth game. Yeah. Which is really cool, which is like a great idea. Like, I was, I, I remember tweeting, like, not too long ago, like, if they're not going to make a real Splinter Cell game ever again, I'll take, like, a VR one. Because that seems, like, perfectly fitting. What, with the goggles and all that? It seems perfect. Indeed. Ah, that'd be sick. Indeed, it does. It does seem perfect. And what do you make about this L.A. Noir VR case files game? It's They're going back to the L.A. Noir well. Weird. A little bit weird. I know that that game has existed for a while because I remember seeing it like last year on PC. Oh, really? The LA yeah, Noir game? I, I don't was, remember seeing that. Yeah, okay. it's a port, I think. Oh, interesting. Um, so like, I mean, cool. I mean, it's it's. I, I totally forgot that they did it until I saw that on the stream. I was like, oh, yeah, oh yeah. I didn't know anything about it. Never. Saw I don't it think life. it plays that well. <laughs> Never saw that in my life. Number four. Some new conventional games were also shown off during the stream. A bizarre PS4 and PSVR game called Humanity was revealed and will be coming to PlayStation in 2020. There is a blog post about that game. I don't even really know how to explain it. The long in development bizarre cartoonish like game Watam or Watam, I think is what they're calling it, which was revealed a few years ago, has reemerged and will be coming to PS4 in December. That's Katamari Damacy, right? Right. Uh, or the same guy that made Katamari yeah, Damacy. Same, yeah. A Techland published game from developer Piccolo called Arise. A simple story is coming to PS4 in the near future. That looked pretty good. Yeah. And perhaps most interestingly and importantly, Civilization VI is coming to PlayStation 4 on November 22nd, lined with all of the previously released DLC. This will mark the first time a proper Civilization game has come to PlayStation platforms. We did get uh, Civilization Revolution on PS Vita and some others, but we've never gotten a real Civilization game. So that's really exciting. I'm a big Civ fan, yeah. as I think a lot of the audience knows. That was the most, uh, the biggest audible reaction that, uh, that it got out of Colin. Yeah, I'm really excited because I have a really beautiful custom-made laptop and Civilization VI makes it, it's like... Makes it like a thousand degrees. I don't know what's going on with it, so <laughs> can't play it on there. Also, yeah. I'm not a nerd, so I don't want to play PC games. Yeah, right. I don't know what, what you guys think this is. Disgusting. What kind of world this is that we live in. This is an interesting one. I don't know how I feel about that. Well, I, I, I think it's great, but we'll talk about a little bit more about this. Number five, Sony is teaming up with other hardware manufacturers and game publishers in a new United Nations endorsed environmental organization called Playing for the Planet, an initiative revealed on the official PlayStation blog. The statement there, written by PlayStation CEO and President Jim Ryan, states in part, quote, at SIE, we have made substantial commitments and efforts to reduce the power consumption of the PS4 by utilizing efficient technologies such as system-on-a-chip architecture, integrating a high-performance graphics processor, die-shrink power scaling, as well as energy-saving modes such as suspend-to-RAM. For context, we estimate carbon emissions we have avoided to date already amount to almost 16 million metric tons, increasing to 29 metric million metric tons over the course of the next 10 years, which equals the CO2 emissions from the nation of Denmark in 2017, end quote. As such, he continued, quote, I am also very pleased to announce the next generation PlayStation console will include the possibility to suspend gameplay with much lower possible power consumption than PS4. If just 1 million users enable this feature, it would save the equivalent uh, uh, average electricity of 1,000 U.S. homes. End quote. All right. What do you make of all of this green initiative stuff that Sony's doing now? Uh, it doesn't seem negative in any way. No. It just seems like a thing. I wanted happening. to hate it when I read it. <laughs> I'm going to tell you why. Because when you go to a hotel, right? Yeah, yeah. And they have the little placard like on the bed or in the bathroom being like, leave your towels on the floor if you want them replaced. Or we're not going to make your bed unless you specifically ask us. And then they try to pretend like it's for the environment. But it's right. not. It's because it lowers their water bill. And then they have the double 
the, the double possibility of also making it seem like a green initiative, which I guess it technically is, but they want to do it for their bottom line and their, well, yeah. and their pocketbooks. So I went into this reading the special being like, oh, this is but I can't really see that here. I don't know. This seems like a nice initiative. It seems like my first instinct to just make fun of it. Not because it's bad. The, everything for the environment, doing good things for the environment is great, but just because I'm so sick of the corporate takeover of these initiatives making it seem like they're really helping yeah yeah i i get that but at the same time it's like you know it's it's better to have a nice thing done for greedy reasons than you know anything else than a mean thing done for nice reasons that doesn't make any sense no 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 you're right <laughs> you though. know what i mean yeah no absolutely no you're absolutely right and it's i'm interested where they're pulling some of these numbers from about the 16 million and 29 million metric tons of co2 emissions from their consoles and stuff. Yeah, I don't really know what that means. And then if 1 million users enable the new feature on PlayStation 5, it will save the electricity of 1,000 U.S. homes. That's really not that much. No. But the the big thing here is that they're talking about PlayStation 5 again, and they seem to be just talking about it in a really circuitous and interesting way. Now we know that there's going to be like a new kind of way to suspend the games and have a really low power consumption on your console. We have to just keep pulling information where we can about this new console, and this is the next generation of that. Without the PlayStation State of, State of Play stream today, that probably would have been the top story, actually, so that goes to show you that yeah, probably. it was a slow week otherwise. Number six, is WB Games Montreal teasing a new Batman game? It sure seems like it. In two tweets, their first, their official accounts, first tweets of any kind in more than four years, WB Games Montreal first says that it's proud to celebrate Batman's 80th anniversary with the rest of the world, in quotes, as it was Batman's birthday just recently. But then it tweeted out a video that says, Capture the Night, K-I-N-I-G-H-T, night like dark night. Website Eurogamer breaks down what this could mean, pointing readers towards a Batman universe organization called the Court of Owls. Mm -hmm. A producer from the studio posted a shirt with the Court of Owls logo on it, and Scott Snyder, one of the Batman universe's many writers, tweeted about the game and then deleted it. That's all we know for now, but it's safe to assume we're getting a new Batman game from outside of Rocksteady. Not an enormous surprise, considering WB Games Montreal previously created Batman Arkham Origins, which came to PS3 and elsewhere back in October of 2013. What do you think? That's cool. I'm looking forward to it. I'm, I'm happy that Rocksteady isn't making it. Yeah, because it means they're making something else. <laughs> right. So this uh, this definitively indicates that we're not getting a Batman game from them, although I don't think anyone really thought we were at this point. No. What is the Court of Owls? Do you know anything about this uh, nonsense? Vaguely. Like, only by name. Oh, I only know that it's a Batman thing. So, like, very little. It, it reminds me a lot... Of, there was, like, something very similar in Bioshock Infinite, actually, wasn't there? Wasn't there, like, an owl-based cult? Yeah. Or, Do you remember that? What, were they owls? Yeah, or... Crow? Oh, no, I was thinking of the crows, but that's one of the attacks you have. Yeah. There was something familiar. like that in Bioshock Infinite that I just got, like, a va like a really specific flashback to. And now we're off on a tangent. We are off but on Batman a tangent. But Batman is cool. And I'm looking forward to more Batman because Arkham Origins wasn't bad at all. It got a know? bad rap. It definitely wasn't as great as the previous two. But I mean, like, I don't know. I thought it was a total, totally functional and enjoyable Batman game. Well, I always felt bad for them when Rocksteady would call talk about the Batman Arkham trilogy and just totally ignore their game Ow. as if it never happened. I was, uh, I was always like, ah, that's kind of shitty. Like, I always thought that I didn't play Arkham Origins. I did play Night City and Asylum, but... I just thought that that was kind of like small, you know, to do. <laughs> yeah, but I don't know. I don't know how I feel about that. Like, would you include Golden Abyss in like the Uncharted trilogy? You know what I mean? No, no, yeah. I guess not. I yeah. guess you wouldn't. Golden Abyss is better than the original Uncharted, though. Than the first one? Yeah. yeah I believe that. Yeah. First one was terrible. First Uncharted's not <laughs> terrible. It's not terrible at all. You're nuts. I, I love to see, watch you like <laughs> viscerally react to these things. All right, let's move on. 
Number seven, not surprisingly, Borderlands 3 is officially a commercial hit. The game's publisher, 2K, has revealed that Borderlands 3 sold through 5 million copies in its first five days, a nebulous way of saying that 5 million copies of the game have been sold to consumers or directly to retailers. Such numbers make Borderlands 3 2K's fastest selling game ever, a pretty substantial milestone considering 2K publishes games and other powerhouse franchises, including NBA 2K, Bioshock, and Civilization. According to Fortune, the Borderlands series has now officially generated over a billion dollars in revenue, and in a sign of the times to come, 70% of Borderlands 3 purchasers bought the game digitally, a shocking number that further solidifies the increasingly niche nature of buying games at retail. IGN reports that these sales represent a 50% jump from Borderlands 2's first five days on the market in 2012, and that the sales trajectory bodes quite well for developer Gearbox Software's new game. Borderlands 2 has sold an astonishing 22 million copies. That's, I didn't know that. That's crazy. So That's it an seems insane like, amount. Yeah, it seems like Borderlands 3 is just fine. I don't know if it's going to hit that 22 million copies thing. Borderlands 2 was on sale for a really long time, of course. Yeah. But this is big. These are big numbers. And, you know, so congratulations to 2K and Gearbox. I'm not sure it's that well deserved, honestly, but I'm glad they're glad. All right. I'm yeah. glad you're, and I'm glad the fans of the game are happy as well. But hey, 70 percent of Borderlands 3 purchases digital. Not surprising to me at all. It's a big jump. Makes. Yeah. I mean, it's just it's going to happen. It's it. We're going towards 100 percent, guys. For real. The numbers are it's funny because it's snowballing. The numbers are in, are becoming vivid in their increases over time yeah and uh, it's quite interesting to watch it's just become so easy like why would you why why would you go to a GameStop and then run the risk of it not being there now you have to go and you have to talk to people leave yeah, your yeah. house even just calling them to see if the game is there is like ah i'll just download it <laughs> dude i told you when i went to i called them about super mario odyssey in 2017 yeah and they told me they didn't have it and then they did have it and then i walked there and they didn't and they <laughs> called me and they're like oh we do have it, it was in the, i'm like i should have just bought this on amazon what the fuck yeah. My own fault. This one's an interesting one. Number eight, a new Terminator game has been randomly announced and weirder yet, it's coming out quite soon. The game is called Terminator Resistance and it's a single player first person shooter being developed by Polish studio Teon and published by British publisher Reef Entertainment. Reef is best known for publishing the 2014 Rambo video game, while Teon has largely been a shovelware developer, perhaps best known for its on-rail shooter series Heavy Fire. Terminator Resistance, according to the game's website, takes place in Los Angeles 30 years after Judgment Day and stars new protagonist soldier Jacob Rivers. Interestingly, the game will come out in Europe first on November 15th with a release in North America a few weeks later on December 3rd. That's so it's one of those rare games we get late. Well, maybe we'll get you a Terminator. I know what I'm getting. Get you Terminator Resistance. Did you see any of the screens or video of this? I didn't I see the video. I saw the screenshots and I, I was just sort of baffled that they were doing this. Doesn't look bad. No, I got to be honest. Does it not? No, I don't think it looks bad no. at all. They what, There was that awful Terminator game in 2009 or 2010 that was like really bad. <laughs> I don't know if you guys remember it. I think it was a third person shooter. I think it was Terminator Salvation, actually. It explains why there's so much Terminator recently, because like they, they, there's a Terminator skin in Gears, Gears 5 also. I was like, what is this doing here? People it's are so making random. their money, I guess. Yeah. I guess that's what they're doing. Marketing. Number nine. Publisher Ubisoft and studio Ubisoft Paris have revealed the year one roadmap for its upcoming tactical shooter, Ghost Recon Breakpoint, which is due to come out on PlayStation 4 and elsewhere on October 4th. The first 12 months are split into three four-month episodes, one running from launch through January of 2020, the second from February through May, and the third from June through September. The first episode has the most concrete detail available for it, not surprisingly, with a new portion of the story called Greenstone, the major part of it, along with a new raid called Project Titan and a special event called Terminator, not related, I don't think, plus a new class, the Engineer. 
Episode two is called The Deep State Adventure, which will expand the core adventure, bringing updates to the Project Titan Raid, as well as new events, a new class, new faction missions, and more. Episode three is called The Transcendence Adventure, which does much of the same. Chris, are you excited about Ghost Recon Breakpoint? No, but I, I know plenty of people who love it. So or like the, the most recent one and are excited for this one. So, I mean, hey, you know, it's, it's more of a thing. It's another thing with a damn roadmap. Yeah. Too many roadmaps. I'm getting really cluttered. My brain is cluttered with roadmaps right now. You want like, to? I can't. You, no more maps. Yeah, I'm done. Just give me a game. No more maps. No more atlases. <laughs> if Doom Eternal has a roadmap, I'm gonna I'm gonna jump off a train. It's probably gonna have a roadmap. I hate to, I hate to say it'll it's probably so, have a roadmap. It's so depressing. It's because now games require or to get you, you involved, you have to like be promised like amazing amounts of content. It does the opposite some, for me. Yeah, like the second I, I see like a bunch of shit, I'm like ah, I'm good. I'm good. I'm totally with you there. Absolutely with you there. Number ten. The upcoming PlayStation 4 exclusive remake of the PS1 game Medieval has officially gone gold, meaning the game's core development is finished and is ready to be submitted for certification and publishing. Word comes by way of the Twitter account for developer Other Ocean Interactive, which tweeted out an image of a burned Blu-ray disc with Medieval GM or Gold Master written on it. Medieval is coming to PS4 in about a month on October 25th, almost 21 years to the day that the original game came to PlayStation via now defunct Sony-owned studio Sony Cambridge. There's more good news, too. There's now a short demo available on the PSN, so you can try the game out for yourself if you'd like. Sir Dan's helmet that you find in the demo will apparently carry over to the final game, which launches in late October. We tried to play it right after the State of Play event. We're going to go check it out after this. If it's available, we're going to do a Let's Play on it. If not, I might have Chris just do the Let's Play by himself if he has the time. Yeah, I could do that. Because I think that'll be a lot of fun for Chris. Yeah, to, without a to doubt. To jump in. So I mean, maybe we'll do that. We're I'm gonna, looking forward to it. We're going to check that out and have a little bit more for you soon. Mm-hmm. Number 11. E3 might just be attempting to reinvent itself, according to leaked documents published by games website GamesDaily.biz. The documents in question purportedly come from the Entertainment Software Association, or the ESA itself, the game industry's lobbying arm in Washington, D.C., and the owner and operator of E3. The website describes the documents as a presentation deck, outlining various proposed changes to the ESA's member organizations, including proposing, quote, leading into influencers and paid celebrity deals with talent representation agencies, end quote. The entire notion revolves around making E3 a more fan-oriented expo as opposed to a trade show. The website reports that ESA members voted to allow 25,000 consumer attendees, 10,000 more than in 2019 and 2020, which may necessitate the need for an industry-only day to allow the traditional business of E3 to occur. You guys can check out more of this. This is a weird one on gamesdaily.biz, but I'll just say Colin was right about this. Rory wrote <laughs> into us and said, hey, curmudgeonly Colin and Craven Chris. It appears yet again that Colin was right. E3 is dead. What does the recent leak that the ESA wants E3 to become a fan and influencer festival mean for the exhibition going forward? Do you still expect the big conference full of announcements or will the likes of Microsoft, Nintendo and the big publishers follow Sony's lead and only speak when they have something to say? As always, keep making Tuesdays great again. Chris, what did you make of this? This is an interesting one. Uh, yeah, I mean, I don't know. It just seems like do you think that this is at all to do with the fact that they had a whole breach of privacy? With the ESA leaks and like all those journalists getting possibly, although you would assume that maybe this was already in motion to begin with. I mean, with yeah, or without right. that leak, Chris is referring to a leak of people's names that was actually first broken as a story by Sophia Narwitz, who's the writer of SideQuest. And that was a really terrible thing that they did. <laughs> really ridiculous that it took that long for someone to even find it. And so it could have something to do with that. But I really think this is just an existential they're in like an existential nightmare with E3 now. It's just mm -hmm. not. I mean, I've been saying this for a long time and I know people are getting mad at me for saying it. And some people call me a naysayer. I obviously wasn't. But E3 is in a death spiral and it's not relevant anymore. And there are too many of these shows. And 
the only reason E3 really has super relevance is because some publishers are still kind of involved in it. And the name E3 has so much power with the first E3 having occurred now 25 years ago. Right. So to me, I look at it and I'm like, I don't know if we need E3 at all. Like even even something in June. Why? Why? When you have Gamescom and you have all the PAXs and you have mm-hmm. everything else, Comic-Con, it's too much. I think it, I don't know. I think it will continue to coast on the name for a while. I think at least we're going to get one more big E3. I think 2020 is going to be a big one. But I think I think after that, it's pretty safe to say that it's probably going to be the last huge one. I don't know how you would have new consoles releasing in the same year and not have an E3 thing. It just seems kind of necessary in some way. Right, to, to build the hype. Um, to build the hype for that. But aside from that, I really, you know, 2020, I'm betting, is going to be the last one where, like, most of them show up. I wonder if they can attract different publishers and hardware manufacturers with like in other words i wonder if the influencer celebrity thing is attractive to those who were kind of bailing out for a while that's the thing i'm most interested in because this stuff is obviously being presented to esa members for voting so they're actively making decisions with the publishers right mm-hmm. as we speak i'd really be interested to see how that that all shook out like who's in who's into it who's not yeah. and of course what sony's plan is with playstation 5's reveal because the Last of Us coming out on February 21st, that was kind of around the time that I thought they were going to reveal PS5, and now I don't think that that's going to happen. Now, it suggests not knowing where Ghost of Tsushima comes out, maybe E3 is when they will do it, and that will be a really a big attraction for people to go back to the show. Yeah, I think I think that's probably what's going to happen. You won't find me there, but hopefully others are, are, are really excited about that. Really excited about it. Yeah. Chris? Let's do a wrap-up, number 12. All righty. The PlayStation blog reports that side-scrolling Metroidvania game Ghost Parade is launching on PlayStation 4 on Halloween, October 31st, and that bizarre horror-themed adventure game After Party comes out a couple of days prior on October 29th. They actually did show that off during the state of play. It looks pretty cool. Yeah. Uh, the After Party game, it's about two best friends that are trying to outdrink, I guess, Satan in hell in order to get out. It looks like a pretty neat <laughs> yeah. idea. I love the premise. Website Push Square reports that adventure game Outer Wilds, Outer Wilds, not to be confused with the uh, the uh, Obsidian game, has been rated for launch on PlayStation 4 via the South Korean Games Rating Board. And finally, website Gamatsu reports that Metroidvania-style game Out Buddies is coming to PlayStation 4 and elsewhere in early 2020. That walking simulator East Shade is coming to PlayStation 4 on October 21st. That open-world RPG Death Trash. People are just putting names together now. It's coming to PS4 in early 2020. That side-scroller Endling is coming to PS4 in 2021. And that adventure game Spirit of the North is coming to PlayStation 4 on November 1st. Death Trash. Man, it's like putting game. It's, <laughs> yeah. I don't Death know, really. Trash. Death Trash. Hell you want to yeah. play Death Trash? Now, Chris, it's time to read the new game releases. There aren't that many of them this week. As tradition dictates, you will go first. Alrighty. Oh, wow. It is a short list. Thank God. Code Vein comes to PS4. In the face of certain death, we rise. In the not-too-distant future, a mysterious uh, disaster has brought collapse to the world as we know it. Team up and embark on a journey that ends <laughs> to the ends of hell? That's what right. is Code Vein about? I don't know. Ah, hell. Apparently. A journey to the ends of hell uh, to unlock your past and escape your living nightmare in Code Vein. People are really excited about this game. Now, I don't know much about it, so I'll have to keep an eye on it. Yeah. But people have been talking about it I've a lot. I've heard about it before. A but game I, that you... I'm sorry, go ahead. No, no, I just I have no idea what it, what it's about. I've heard the name, like, consistently. Well, now you know. It's a game in the not-too-distant future with a mysterious disaster. Oh, thank goodness. Brought collapse to the world as we know it. What else do you need to know? Yeah. Color Slayer comes to PS4 and Vita. I actually looked this game up. It looks like absolute trash, but I don't want to <laughs> I don't want to uh, make fun of it too badly. I haven't played it. Race and slash your way forward in this color-based arcade game. Push your reflexes as you evade or slice color-coded enemies. Use the right 
or the right colored sword to slash enemies as you avoid shielded ones and pick up the right enemy after a color switcher. It basically seems to be, if you can imagine a Guitar Hero track, it's kind of that. That's the game, and you're, it doesn't look very good. No, all right. Contra Rogue Core comes to PS4. Contra is back. Two years after the Alien Wars ended, the damned city erupts from the final battleground. From the midst of the chaos, a group of scoundrels emerge. They might not be typical heroes, but they're here to save the world or get rich trying. This is another one that Chris and I might do a Let's Play for. We were going to do a Let's Play, as we mentioned a couple weeks ago, for River City Girls, but we kind of kind of lost our opportunity, I think, to do that. Well, we, we have the opportunity, but the game's kind of old news now. Yeah. But then I downloaded this, and then the medieval thing was... So I don't know what's going to happen. I have no idea. I don't know. We'll figure it out. God help me. I have no idea what's happening. <laughs> God help. God help me. Dreaming Canvas comes to PS4. Dreaming Canvas is a first-person adventure game where you can explore magical destinations, collect art inspirations, and paint pictures. I don't know what the fuck that means. Meet interesting other travelers along your journey, listen to inspirational art quotes from famous painters, and get ready to paint the landscape of your dreams. FIFA 20 comes to PS4, another FIFA. Uh, FIFA 20 uh, brings two sides of the world's game to life. The prestige of the professional stage and an all-new authentic street football experience in EA Sports Volta Football. Football... Oh, what the hell? I'm getting a phone call. Ooh, all right. Who is it? Let's answer it. No, <laughs> it was a random number from Yonkers. Uh, where was I? Football intelligence. Foot <laughs> football intelligence unlocks an unprecedented platform for gameplay realism, and FIFA Ultimate Team offers more ways to build your dream squad. Remember when you were a kid in school and you were reading and you didn't know the, the word or whatever, and then your teacher would be like, football intelligence, to try to get you going or yeah, yeah. <laughs> whatever whatever word you can say. And I always liked knowing the big words when I could, you know, busting right on through them, surprising the teachers. Fuck you, teachers. Yeah, you That's can't, nice. you can't control me. That. That's not nice. My sisters are teachers. <laughs> oh, no. Hybroxia comes to PS4 and Vita. Yay! Blast your way through a myriad of extraterrestrial incursions in this arcade-style shoot, uh, scrolling shooter. Pilot the ship Habroxia through 15 levels featuring intense boss fights, rescue missions, shifting perspectives, and untold surprises. Customize your ship, unlock three endless side modes, and save the, the galaxy from a series of sinister invaders. By the way, uh, this is, again, just to throw it out there, highly recommend Habroxia. My friend Barry Johnson made it. He definitely threw that word myriad into the, the, the description because that's one of my old favorite words, so I, I don't think that's a coincidence. And, uh, they're making the next game or they're making their next game is a sacred symbols game. So I just wanted to reiterate that, that we are in the tank for really yeah. no games, but <laughs> Herboxy is a legitimately good game. I think it only costs seven ninety nine. You can get it on PS4 and Vita, two trophy lists. Go get it. Go support Barry. And Myriad is a good word. It so is. support him just based on that alone. Star Wars Jedi Knight 2 Jedi Outcast comes to PS4. Kyle Katarn's classic adventure comes to PlayStation for the first time. Experience the legendary single-player epic with modernized controls and trophies. Test your skills in 24 single-player missions, four epic boss fights, and one unforgettable cantina. As we said, or no, I don't think we said it on the show. I think we were talking about it before the show began. The rumor about this this game, this re-release of Jedi Knight 2 Jedi Outcast, is that you cannot invert the controls. Oh, no. So I, I know that a lot, of, a lot of people like to make fun of me for inverting, but about one in 10 gamers do invert. And I wanted to throw that out there because if you're an inverter, you can't play this game until, the, until or yeah, if yeah. they patch it. I'm so just be wary of that. I'm sure they'll probably patch it. How but can that not be in the game? I don't know. From the, from the get-go. That's not a Maybe they're making a thing. statement. Maybe in, inverters go away. I wouldn't be able to play video games if I couldn't invert Y. Go, flee. Flee, inverters, flee. The weirder thing is inverting X. That I don't understand. But when I say that, then people are like, well, how is that any different than inverting Y? And I'm like, I guess I really don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I, guess I, I guess I really don't know. 
The Surge 2 finally comes to PS4. On the way to Jericho City, your plane is shot down by a mysterious storm and crash lands in the outskirts. You wake up weeks later in a derelict detention facility inside the city. Soldiers enforce martial law, robots are on a rampage, and a dark, expanding nanostorm looms over the cityscape. I actually bought this for Sophia, the writer of SideQuest, who I mentioned earlier. She's recovering from a surgery she went through, so I wanted her to have something to play. So hopefully she'll have something to say, and then I can relay those words, because I am not going to play The Surge 2. This is a game that I want to play so badly, but for some reason I can't bring myself to play it. It's supposed to be very hardcore. It's supposed to be very good. Yeah. But like, I just, I have it. It's installed. I just can't bring myself to do it. I don't know what the hell it is. I'm going to have to just kick myself to do it. I'm going to kick you right in your fucking head so you can do it. Is that right? (laughs) Yeah. Kick you right in the face. Give me brain damage. Chris, I forgot to mention in the news, I just realized I forgot to write this up because it was all happening in the moment. We talked about the free PlayStation Plus games they announced, but we didn't reveal them on the show, though they revealed them during the State of Play stream. The October free PlayStation Plus games, if you have PlayStation Plus, will be The Last of Us Remastered, which is really quite exciting Yeah, when you think about it. That's a that's a big one that they're doing. Smart also. So, well, I wonder if it's almost well, it is smart, but I wonder if it's almost oh, maybe the timing's actually quite right. I'm not even going to say it. the timing's good. And I think even cooler, MLB The Show 19 is going to be free on PlayStation 4 as well, which will coincide with the playoffs for MLB and for baseball. Mm-hmm. Two first party games coming two high quality first party games coming. Can't complain about that. No yeah. complaints there. So remember to go into your download list and mark them when the yeah. time comes. If you don't want them now, you might want to download them later and you can do that. If for some reason you don't own The Last of Us already. If for some reason you are a fucking idiot. Imagine you have a PlayStation 4 and you don't own The Last of Us. I can't even imagine. It, 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 people, Most people that own a PlayStation 4 don't own The Last of Us. I know, which but is it's amazing. baffling. It's, yeah. like, it's, it's weird. It's like watching a cuttlefish become a hologram. I know you were talking about that. And I don't like that either. No. I don't like really Did you see the tweet that someone sent us? I don't remember what it was about that. Uh, uh, some news organization, someone earnestly used the word Eldritch in a description really? in, their, in their Twitter. Yeah. Oh, I'm like, happy oh. about that. So maybe you're you're having a lot. You're inspiring people, I think. Yeah. Apparently, uh, I can will games into existence and I can also will words into people's vocabulary. You're a special boy. Yeah. Chris, as tradition dictates as well. Let's end our episode of Sacred Symbols of PlayStation podcast with six questions, comments, concerns, thoughts, and ideas from the audience. Remember, you can submit your inquiries to us on Patreon at patreon.com slash Collins Last Stand, where you can also get early ad-free access, et cetera, et cetera. I feel like I'm flubbing a lot today. I feel like I'm having a flub day. It's an, well, we're recording on Tuesday, yeah. which is abnormal. Right. So we're already kind of off. I'm a little off. Yeah. Little off. I'm used to Tuesdays and Wednesdays are like my, t- my usual time off where I just lollygag. You know, I'm just lollygagging about pussyfooting around pussyfooting about, but <laughs> not today. I had a, I had a, a friend of mine from high school come back from the military. He was out here uh, with his friend and he has this uh, guy with him who's like his buddy. And he sounds like really New York. And he's like, hey, quit lollygagging. <laughs> and it was like the most amusing. It was the first time I heard that word in like a decade. Was he out of the Bronx tale? Jeez. It was straight up. It was like a parody. It was wild. Love that stuff. Love it. Alan Wales wrote into us. Said, dear classic Colin and clairvoyant Chris, with the show inevitable, with a slow inevitable march rather towards a digital future, there appear, appears to continue to be a demand inefficiency in the video game market for high quality physical media. Large scale publishers continue to cut out manuals, trading cards, or any sort of simple collectibles that fit inside the game case to cut costs. Not talking about collector's edition statues or other large items. My question is: Will companies like limited run games, super rare games, and strictly limited games? Is there really? 
geez, they're not really coming up with these clever names here. Continue to flourish in this arena or will the larger scale publishers get wise to the demand and push out these upstarts? Personally, I hope small companies like this survive. I was recently able to purchase Habroxia on the PS Vita, which I saw on Collins Let's Play as a small physical release from East Asia Soft, a small Hong Kong based publisher. Just throwing out there again for I'm friends with East Asia Soft as well. So I just want to make sure we know, mm-hmm. take everything with a grain of salt there. Actually, East Asia Soft, as you guys might recall, was the very first sponsor of Sacred Symbols. This game was only $35 and comes with a myriad of physical media in addition to the game. This is an incredible deal, in my opinion, and a price I worry wouldn't be feasible with large or larger publishers looking to justify the cost of such endeavors. Thank you for your valuable time, gentlemen, and keep doing it differently. Oh, thank you, Alan. We will. Chris, what do you make of this? Do you think that there's still a way for outside of the big $1,000, $500 collector's editions we make fun of? that there's a way for big publishers to kind of mine this increasing niche of physical media? I don't I think you go with the, you know, the limited run games type deal. You just do a limited release because I mean, how many people are really doing this? Like it's very clearly going to be very soon that most, the overwhelming majority of sales are going to be digital and you know, people are going to still want that physicality, like, like at least on some level, but I don't know if you want to necessarily continue to push out like, full on, you know, physical releases. I think the smart way is to do like limited run style things. Yeah, I think that it's a this is a financial game. This is an economic game. If you're Barry Johnson with Habroxia, I think they made 2000 copies for Vita, limited edition copies for Vita physical. If you're Sony or you're a big publisher, so East Asia Soft didn't publish Habroxia, but someone else did. You're not going to sell 2000 copies of anything. You're not going to extract any sort of value or, or profit out of that. That's going to be worthwhile to an Activision, for instance, right? Like we talk about how it was surprising, although wildly uh, successful, it was surprising that Activision published Sekiro because that didn't seem to be a game that fit into Activision's like, we must sell 15 million copies of this game. Now, the game did really well, but I'm going to show you that the economies of scale are just different depending on the companies you're talking about. So limited run games can have a vibrant company based on just publishing 3,000 copies of this and 2,000 copies of this and whatever, and they probably make a little bit of scratch and they they put it into the next one. But if you're a Sony or a Microsoft or an Activision or an EA, you put out these big special editions because that's very attractive and profitable. But mm-hmm. you're never going to do these limited runs that are going to make you pennies that are worthless to your bottom right. line when you're such a big enterprise. So I think that that has something to do with it. Yeah. And I do think the collector's editions have basically taken the place of that. Sure. In a large, in a large way. But I will say, Chris, I am a little disgruntled about just the complete removal of anything inside a case. I mean, that is something that really helped push me towards the digital medium during the PS3 era and certainly in the PS4 era because they just don't the when you buy a game on disc you're just buying the game on disc and that's cool well is that not the point theoretically well, well, but what about the instruction manuals what about like some nice art or a little bit of time put into the packaging right, but think about it you just said it drove you to buy games digitally which is pretty beneficial to Sony mm, did you just trick me I didn't trick you I think you tricked me I did not I don't trick no trick. You're wily, aren't you? You're a wily young <laughs> it's man. Probably like a, it's probably on some level a smart idea. I suppose so. I mean, because it, it's obviously a shrewd move on their part to just move everyone to digital so they can remove all of that. And they make more profit, actually. Yeah. Because they don't have to. The profit's already high on physical games, but they cut out the many middlemen, the guy who prints the disc and the guys who make the plastic cases and obviously GameStop and Walmart and all those. Yeah. But nonetheless, I, I, I'm a little annoyed that I used to love popping open a game back yeah. in the SNES era, the PS1 era. Bring, I used to bring PS1 books to like school with me and like obsess over them and can't wait to get home. I even, even early PS3 and early uh, Xbox 360 had really good manuals. Right. It's a shame. 
it's a shame just because I think a younger generation is now coming up unaware of that entire yeah. part of the equation. And I guess it's a little quaint because you can just go online and see everything and see all the art and go to fucking Wikia or whatever you need and get all the information. But that was really ex- yeah. an exciting way for us to use our imaginations back in the day. I used to love the Castlevania manuals where you'd see like what the enemies really looked like or what they were supposed yeah, yeah, to look yeah. like. And or they would have like lore written in them. Right. Exactly. They were really cool. I feel uh, like uh, I would, you know. I'll say this right now for our Sacred Symbols game that we haven't announced yet. If we do a physical run of the game, which I think we will for at least PS4, we're going to get an instruction manual in that box. All right. (laughs) All right. I don't give a fuck. Hell yeah. I don't give a fuck. I do miss him. You don't understand what I'm saying? Look at look at a lamb chop over here. Looks like he's fucking dead on a battlefield. (laughs) So uh, Lola, our dog, has uh, a bunch of toys, obviously, and lamb chop, lamb chop, you know, the, the, the sheep, the lamb, lamb chop. Uh, <laughs> lamb chop the sheep. Yeah. Well, lambs and sheep are the same thing, aren't they? I guess. Are they different animals? I don't know. I think lambs and sheep are the same. How fast animal. is a lamb? I don't How want, fast is the fastest lamb? I don't want to know. I don't want to know. <laughs> I don't want to see any lambs or sheep running. Lambs. Lamb. But nonetheless, <laughs> look at this. Look at how she left. It looks like the, it's dead. That should be the the thumbnail image for this uh, podcast. Yeah, yeah. Dead yeah, lamb chop. That's, that's a nice idea. <laughs> Just totally dead. All right. Well, thank you for that question. That was a very thoughtful question. I appreciate that. Mr. Wales, Christian Turnbaugh wrote in us and said, greetings, wildcard Colin and outlaw, Chris. Outlaw. My question is in regards to the finish of the PlayStation 4. So he's talking about the finish of the console. Hmm. I was lucky enough to get one of the 500 million edition uh, consoles. So that's not 500. It, it was the, the just bluish to be clear, one. Right? Yeah, exactly. It was called the 500 million edition, but there weren't 500 million of them made. I just want to be clear. I have realized that it is a scratch magnet. Do you think that Sony will change up the finish of the PS5 and go back to the matte finish of the original PS4s or stick with this terrible gloss finish? Thanks for all you do. This is by far the best, not only PlayStation, but gaming podcast by far. Hey, I agree. Thank you so much. Thank you so much, guy. All right, Chris, what do you make of this? People are really into the aesthetic of these consoles. I don't blame them. They're centerpieces of our living rooms and our entertainment centers. I do like matte finish a lot. And It's it's the best finish. Yeah, it is. I love them on. I love matte finish cars. I love matte finished appliances. And so, yeah, I do like the matte finish and I'm not so worried about things getting scratched up, but I just think like the reflections and the light reflections and all that's distracting. You want to have a box, in my opinion, that draws the eye when you want it to, but is otherwise inconspicuous yeah. in your entertainment system. That's yeah. not, yeah. you know, distracting. You people. want an understated unit. Exactly. In your kind of like my unit. I think I insulted myself a little actually. bit. Is it also scratched just, up and glossy? I think I just said that I had a I have a small dick. Yeah, well, why would I do that to myself? I don't know. I don't know what you've done here. No, you've truly mangled this. I'm sorry. So, yeah, Chris. So what do you I'm kind of curious, like what you think the aesthetic of this new console should be? We saw what what was the leaked aesthetic, which was that almost Roman numeral V shape thing. I don't think that that's real. There's no way that's real. There's no way that's even a fucking mock up. It's just it looks it looks an elegant and ugly as shit. If that's real, I hope it's not. But what do you I want? Here's what I want. I want the smallest possible unit. Obviously, I want it to be black and I don't want there to be anything on it other than a small light and maybe a PlayStation logo somewhere. Something that, again, is elegant and doesn't draw the eye unnecessarily. I thought the original PS4s were fine. I didn't really care for the, that one strip of gloss, but at least it had the rest of it was matte as far as I remember. And uh, the PS4 Pro, I think, is kind of ugly, but at least it's matte. You know, I really don't. I hate I hate gloss. That's all. That as long as it's not glossy, I don't care what it looks like. It could be literally a bowling ball, and I'll be fine. As a long matte as bowling ball. <laughs> yeah, a matte bowling ball. I hate. I just hate gloss. I remember when the Xbox 360s, when the Slims came out, and they were like glossy. I was like, that's such a good design, but it's so shiny and gross. 
And then they came up with the matte one. It's like, okay, that's infinitely better. It immediately became 100% better. Yeah, and looking at the PS4s here in the office, we have a PS a standard PS4 and a Slim in here. The Slim PS4, I think, is all matte with a PlayStation logo kind of stamped on it. See, that's the perfect size for a console. It's yeah. not going to be that small, obviously. It's just the design of it is kind of lame. Yeah. It's just two lines, it's basically. like a parallelogram. Yeah. Isn't that what they call that? I think so. Also, none of this parallelogram shit, by the way. You want a box, like a rectangle or a If square. you're going to do a parallelogram, at least have the back be flat, because I'm sick of, like... Because I constantly have to change the Ethernet from my the Xbox One to the PS4 when I'm downloading stuff. And, like, just trying to reach around behind the PS4 is so annoying, because you have to go over and under, and it, like, it hurts. It's such a weird design for the back of a console. Yeah, it's annoying. Like, you're not going to see it. Yeah. In other words, it could have been curved in the front and flat in the back. Yeah, that would yeah. be nice. Maybe there's something something to it. I don't know. You could saw it in half. You could. You can do whatever you want. I knew a guy at IGN. You know the the plugs that you plug in the PS3 Slim and PS4 Slim and stuff that are, I think I even have one, that are like the two circles, you mm-hmm. know? Yeah. And then there used to be ones with like a square and a circle. Yeah. And there was a guy at IGN that used to carve all, we didn't have them, so you'd carve down the square part of the plug and they would fit into the circle circle plugs. Did they like, work? Yeah. Really? Like, yeah. Oh, yeah. Wow. They definitely worked. I probably could have burned that entire building down doing that, but that yeah. is fascinating. Probably a lot more effort than just getting another plug. He was a weird guy. I know the PS One and PS Two had those, like they were the the square and the circle. I remember that. Yeah, I don't know what the point of that was. I I, I always assumed that that was to make it fit snugly, but I I didn't know if that was like a proprietary thing. I, that they were trying I, to be annoying. Yeah, about. I thought it was because it was proprietary. Because that's obnoxious. It is just like with the Vita. Vita everything was obnoxious with the proprietary yeah. stuff. Here's your proprietary SD card. Jesus Christ. They're so small. Even the Switch didn't do that. Even Nintendo, for all of their, like, ignorance. All their dumbness. Yeah. Their dumbness. We, we're not going to put sync buttons on our controllers. Rubinos wrote into us. Said, greetings, turn-based Colin and grappling hook Chris. <laughs> Last week, you guys discussed the growing trend of games making their way to subscription services. Metro Exodus and Gears 5 with Game Pass. Shortly after launching to retail. If this trend continues into the next generation then we should expect that launch sales for new games will continue to decline as consumers realize that their subscription services will likely grant them access to the games they want as soon as launch. My question is, if publishers are able to make significant profit with the subscription service model, how likely is it that this will affect the standalone price of games in the next generation? You guys have discussed for a while now that AAA game prices must inevitably increase to keep up with inflation and the growing cost of game development, but it seems the profitability of subscription services conflicts with this. I'd love to hear your thoughts on this and keep up the great work. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, I, well, I think I think the subscription model is a way around having to charge $90 for a game that they know people aren't going to want to buy. I think this is their way around it because they know that uh, subscriptions are super profitable. A lot of times people just forget that they have them, so right. they just keep paying them. I think that's the key. There's, there's like money made in perpetuity, sometimes from like straight up dead people, <laughs> which is a little bit messed up. But, you know, I think the industry is aware that games prices need to go up, but they're also aware that people are very, very not willing to pay a lot for their games and this is kind of the way around that where you have you know your games launch on you know whatever for retail at $60 and then they go on some subscription service that makes a lot of money and then there's like some you know microtransactions in there that are not necessarily super invasive to the game but just sort of allow people who are playing that game to just make a spend a little bit more money on it I think this is how the the model is going to go from now on yeah I actually completely agree with you Chris in the sense that This is a further way to explore pricing, and we've talked about that so much. I think that that's the key. There was a controversial tweet. I don't know who the fuck it was from, but people were busting balls this weekend that some guy was saying, you know, 
a Polygon story about the $60 game. And he was saying, like, you really got to pay more, like $120 or $150 yeah, for yeah. a game. And I was like, that's too much. But I see what you're saying, because if we were paying equivalent amounts of money to what we were paying when we were kids, we would be paying $150 for games today. Right. That's how cheap games are right now. And it's so hard to explain that to people, right, about cartridge-based big N64, SNES, or Genesis yeah. games were 80, 90, 100 bucks. And that was in 1993, 1994. So, yes, that would be the equivalent today. But I think that it's exciting, as I've said many times, to explore these different things. But I don't know if they're going to get any data back that's useful about the profitability of this compared to the games being sold, compared to selling them on retail or at retail or on digital services for years. Because I think you kind of have to let this play out and see what happens. Like. Mm-hmm. I don't think Microsoft knows right now with Gears 5 as an example, like, was this wise to put on Games Pass or was should we have sold it at retail? You've got to kind of let it all pan out for a while, have plenty of data, lots of information and interpretation of that data. And then you can make the call on what's right or what's not, because it does seem a little tight to me. If you're a big gamer, you're spending, say, $120 or $150 a year on PlayStation Pass, whatever they're going to call it then that's three, a little less than three retail games a year. I really think they're relying on people that are not hardcore to get sucked up into this, which is exactly what happens with Netflix and Amazon Prime and all of that. Right. And then the whales at the top kind of take advantage of it and those people at the bottom pay for it. I just don't know that we have enough data or enough information. I still think you're going to see game sales increase. And ironically, I think game sales can go up even more because of these passes. Yeah, because now people are going to be more incentivized to just pay for the pass. Right, exactly. Mm-hmm. I think that... There's an there's an economic argument to say, like, actually making Gears $40 would be more enticing because then you could say, like, well, I don't know if I need the Game Pass. $40 isn't that much. Maybe I'll buy the game. Maybe I would have gotten into the Game Pass and canceled after a month. But I really feel like all those cross wires need to be analyzed by very smart data analysts before we have any more information. And in PlayStation's case, they're not going to have any data like that until PS5. So we don't know. Yeah, it's still very early on in this in this uh, in this business model. And we're going to have to wait for a lot more, (laughs) a lot more years of this. Yeah. Before we even know whether or not this has been a positive thing or not. Because Microsoft is talking about Gears 5 in terms of players engaged and all that kind of stuff. And I know people make fun of that, but they certainly can't talk about sales anymore. The game bombed. If, mm-hmm. if, if, if you talk about sales, but the game didn't bomb because they're interpreting it differently. Right. So I don't that's a marketing and PR problem as well. It's a data analysis problem. It's a lot to go into this, but I'm glad that they're trying and they're flexing. And Sony, I think, might be wise just watching this happen without doing anything themselves because they have partnerships with a lot of these guys, not Microsoft, but others, Ubisoft, EA. They might be able to go and kind of grab their ear and be like, hey, what are you guys learning about? releasing FIFA and Madden on EA access as a, or Plants vs. Zombies as opposed to selling them. Are you seeing, is this positive? Is this negative? All they care about is the bottom line. They'll mm-hmm. make all these games free, free completely if they think that it will boost their bottom line. So we'll have to see, but it's fascinating times. I'm still hoping for the cartel of publishers that I want to make their own, <laughs> their own uh, pass, but that's not going to happen, obviously. The THQ Nordic pass? If that happens, I will never play video games again as long as I live. <laughs> Someone's going to cut that out and hold me to it because it's going to happen, obviously. Steven Van Zandt wrote in and said, hey, CNC, isn't Steven Van Zandt the guitarist in a band? It sounds like something like that. I think so. As a gamer who plays on both PlayStation and Xbox, I find myself leaning towards Xbox more and more due to one particular reason. Microsoft rewards. 
This system earns you reward points for completing weekly and monthly quests, typically centered around earning achievements in Game Pass games. Those points can be redeemed for live Game Pass or gift cards. I recently cashed in a few months worth of points and got $50 off Borderlands 3. So you basically paid 10 bucks for it. Nice. I thought PlayStation had nothing of the sort, but to my surprise, they do. They actually did. Unfortunately, it's limited to points for money spent in the store and doesn't have nearly the return as the competition. Do you think Sony is missing out? Or are, re are rewards aimed at such a small subset of gamers, it won't make the money back from the increased engagement? Do you see them implementing a similar system to entice people to PS Now or View? I think it works because it entices such a small percentage of people. I mean, if, if it enticed everybody, then they'd be losing money, theoretically, wouldn't they? Yeah, I would assume so. Yeah. This I, is the whole whale argument. Yeah. I did not know that this was a thing. I had no clue. I had no clue that this was... With Xbox. Yeah. Yeah. I had no clue that there were uh, rewards or anything. Blew my mind just now. I, well, I, I must have like a lot. You might, yeah, you must, you must, you might even be a millionaire for all Maybe. you know right now. <laughs> uh, an Xbox millionaire. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I don't think that's as big of a deal as literally anything else that we could be talking about this this generation or leading up to the next generation. I, I don't think this is like a big driving force for most people. No, I, I do think that it's it's something nice to consider. Yeah. Sony did have their rewards program for a while that they did cancel. So that's done. And the, Sony does do weird in-game shit where like when if you platinum Bloodborne, you got like an exclusive theme that only people that platinum Bloodborne got like that kind of stuff. is that's cool. cool. Yeah. But at the same time, I really would like something like they have here with achievement or trophies on play in PlayStation's case or playing games within certain periods or there's a Call of Duty event. So you go play Call of Duty and you get you get rewarded for that. I don't think they have much to lose by doing something like that and keeping people engaged and having some sort of economy within PlayStation Network where you can spend yeah. that, spend those points and spend that money. What do you really have to lose by trying something like that? I really do think that they're going to do that in the future. And with PlayStation Now, less so because it's already built in. With PlayStation View and other PlayStation kind of side services, I really think that they should be working in uh, trophies into these things and like do a lot of stuff. Like people would get really engaged if you I, had trophies for PlayStation View or PlayStation, you know, whatever the case might be, or buying a certain amount of games or doing something yeah. like that, like the achieve the day one achievement on Xbox One, I thought was such a cool idea. Yeah. Like you can only get it off that console and it will never be available again. I dig that. Like what if you went on Amazon and you bought 10 things on Amazon that uh, Amazon Prime that month, so you get a trophy for it. I think Netflix on Xbox 360, I might be wrong, could be like on Xbox One, but I, you got an achievement for watching a certain amount of hours on Netflix. I remember Netflix had achievements. It was like really weird. <laughs> That's cool. It was neat, yeah. I mean, it's not neat for most people, just like this wouldn't be applicable, This, this yeah. the reward system for most people, but this podcast isn't for most people. This podcast is for the no, hardcore. Exactly, yeah. The people listening to this are the exact people that would take advantage of it. So That's true. I would Now, I understand why they don't attach it to trophies specifically. They're, they're so, there's so many bullshit. The trophy economy is fucked up and that ship has sailed, but it would be cool if Sony first party games even attached rewards because their trophy lists are typically much harder and they can they can reward you through that. I think there's so many they just have to have clever people with time and energy and space to sit down and figure out just little cool things to fill in the cracks like caulk around yeah. the tile. I do miss you know. getting rewards from trophies that were beyond just like I remember I like getting armor pieces for doing certain things. That was cool. It's not really a thing anymore. Now you just buy them. Exactly. Now they just want you in the microtransactions. Yeah. Matthew Hamilton wrote into us and said, hello, you vivacious gentlemen. That's very nice of you. Mm, vivacious. All the talk about clunky, unusable UI in recent weeks has me has gotten me thinking. I think the best UI I have ever encountered in a game was Persona 5. Relax. I'm telling you guys to play it. Shut up. <laughs> the menus inventory. Um, he's, he says it doesn't say I'm not telling you to play it. He says I'm telling you guys to play it. And I'm telling you, Matt, to shut up. All right. Shut your mouth, Matt Hamilton. 
The menus, inventory, maps, fast travel, etc., all had a consistent style to them, but they never felt cluttered or got in the way of using them. It's also incredibly snappy. Ever since Persona 5, other games' UIs have felt pretty lackluster. I think UIs are one of those things you were to never notice how good or bad it is until you encounter one that is exceptional or egregious. What are some games in recent years that have had an exceptional UI in your guys' opinion? Thanks, and keep Tuesdays great. Thank you for your question, Matt. I don't know. I don't know about exceptional, but I, I remember I hated Grand Theft Auto 4. And five, actually, their UIs were the worst. Just getting into the menus on your phone and having to go through all the little icons. Right. Like, oh, my God. A lot of bloat. I really hate this. I agree with what he's saying. It's actually the games that you don't think about are the ones that usually have the best UI where you don't have to think about yeah. it. I want UI that's just basic. If a game is really flashy and exciting or whatever, and I hit start, I don't care if it's just text menus. I don't yeah. care. I don't need all of this animation and music and yeah, I don't understand who this shit serves. Like if you're showing me if I pause and literally get an Apple II style menu, that's fine as long as I can use it and it works. Yeah, exactly. Now, Persona 5's menu, I have seen it and, and Persona games always had these really snappy and interesting menus, but that, that's the key snappy. So even if they're ornate, it, it they work. They, they're quick. I played Persona 4 Golden for way too long on my Vita and noticed that in the menus. I'm like, yeah, these menus are ornate, but. They get me around. They get they get the the job done. Yeah. It's only when you play games like God of War, in my opinion, or Borderlands or others where it's like, God. I didn't like Far Cry's either for the last like several years. I thought it's been pretty bad. They like, don't just, load quickly. The maps are yeah. latent. There's all sorts of shit that's fucked up on them. Yeah. It bothers the hell out of me. I don't, I don't really, I can't think of maybe Portal because <laughs> it's just a menu. Portal. Literally, like the cla- I can't. The recent game Portal. It's literally like the only thing I can, or like games from like back then where the menus couldn't be crazy animated or, or or insanely ornate, so they just had to be static menus, right? Or they had to, or at most they had like some music or maybe like some vague like GIF of an animation tinting over the over the menu. That's all. That's all I needed, like a vague thematic element, and that's it. Totally fine, or just a straight up pause screen, nothing else. That would be, I'd nice. be fine. Yeah, pause screen. Just when I want to go into menus, just give me menus. Show me actually as little as you think I need. And then you can flesh that out if yeah. you feel like you need to. But there should be a bare minimum of functionality in these menus. And, and in Borderlands 3, I just I'm astounded by how badly it runs. I just can't believe how badly it runs in the menus. There's nothing even going on. The I don't menus, understand what the hell's happening. The menus run worse than the game does, it's very which weird. is really weird. And I think it's because and I, this is just like a hunch. But my assumption is that the menu is rendered in game as like a physics object. Probably, this is like getting really into it. But like, I th- I think they have to render the menu as if it's like this big thing in the game, as opposed to just like a UI element. And I think it's like crashing the game hardcore. That's probably like, true. Actually, you're actually right, Chris, because you won't be able to pause the game per se in a multiplayer game like that. No, the game does freeze for me because I have that off. But. You're right. You're probably right because the game's action is still going on. So I guess they can't draw you out of it. But maybe I don't know. I don't Dumb know. idea. I don't, I don't know. know. I might be totally wrong on this, by the way, but it just feels that way. I don't understand how a menu could be that clunky with the, uh, unless we're talking about that. Chris, let's end with Brian Shy. Okay. Shy. Like the T. Exactly. Who wrote in and said salutations to the second most controversial Colin behind only Mr. Kaepernick and second most handsome Chris behind only Mr. Hemsworth. Okay. First time, long time, yada, yada, yada. With the dawn of the PS5 looming, do you gents think a safer launch lineup of remastered hits, a la Borderlands 3 Game of the Year with a functioning UI, Last of Us 2 slash Death Stranding slash Ghost of Tsushima remasters, is the likelier play? Or do you think Sony will surprise us with a riskier launch lineup of some new IPs or unannounced sequels like Horizon Zero Dawn 2 and a Resogun sequel come to mind? 
What uh, I, I wish we would get a Rezo Gun sequel. That's not going to happen. Which would you guys prefer? Thanks for all you do. Keep Tuesdays great. So here's the thing, Mr. Chai, is that the idea of remastering is now dead because Ghost of Tsushima and Death Stranding and The Last of Us Part 2 are going to natively play on PS5. You're not going to have to do anything to them. So that would be a really bad play. That would make them look like fucking idiots if they did that. I know that you probably weren't thinking about that in your question, but think about that if Sony literally said, like, we're re-releasing The Last of Us Part 2 on PlayStation 5 seven months after it came out on PS4 in a remastered edition, as opposed to even waiting a year, which they did on PS4 with The Last of Us Remastered, keeping in mind, too, that The Last of Us on PS3 wouldn't play on the PS4 version. So we're dealing with a complicated new environment where only new games are going to be possible or remasters of games that haven't we haven't seen in a while. And anyone doing anything else is going to be looked at with suspect eyes because yeah. the backwards compatibility is inherent. Yeah, no, I agree. That's exactly what I was going to say, basically. Perfect. Thank you. I am perfect. I think you're going to get a Gorilla game at launch. It's been a while. Zero Dawn came out in February of 2017. So mm-hmm. it'll have been like 18, 19, 20. It'll be like three and a half years. Do you think or it'll so. be a Horizon? It, it could be a Horizon game. It could be something else. It could be Killzone. I've heard rumblings that they're working on something else. I think you guys can use your brain power to figure that out compared to considering who they hired away from the Siege team. Hint. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but I don't know if these rumors are true. And there are a few other games. Like there was one game in particular, a remaster that's coming out to PlayStation 4 that I thought they were going to announce that they didn't. I don't know what they're waiting for with that one. Let's just say the soul still burns. Yeah. <laughs> I think... Uh... I don't know what we're going to get aside from probably a bunch of safe bets, like probably like an Assassin's Creed or something like that. I don't know if there is going to be an Assassin's Creed next year, but I assume there probably will be. Yeah, whatever third party stuff, they'll have a lineup just like they had Call of Duty Battlefield. Actually, PS4's lineup was pretty strong at launch because they had Killzone, which was a strong first party game, Resogun, which is a second party game. And then they did have Call of Duty and Battlefield and Assassin's Creed. And they had some garbage on there, too. But this launch needs to be very deliberate because... Everyone's going to be able to plug in their PS5 and immediately play PS4 games, whatever they want. So you will be able to buy a PS5 and never buy a PS5 game. You can just go right backwards. So I really think that what would be very smart, Chris, instead of having this spread shot approach is to say, like, we're going to have like four games at launch. That's it. Yeah. Right. And it's going to be Horizon. It's going to be some other big AAA exclusive. It's going to be like Batman or something like that. And it's going to be whatever this. And then we're going to have some crushing games and other games, but like have big marquee games that will only be playable and then encourage people, maybe even have a discount or something. What if you had a backwards compatibility discount on PS5, where if you own the console, you can go into the PlayStation 4 store on PS5 and you get 10% off everything, right? Permanently, just by playing it on PS5. Hmm. Little things like that. that I think that would be an idea, exciting yeah. day to, to way to spread things out because you're not starting from zero with sure. PS5, which is the first time ever where that's really happening in a major way, right? PS2 is backwards compatible and stuff, but it's different now. There's thousands of games available. And so they have. I don't think having twenty five a launch lineup of twenty five games is going to do it. No, I think I think that's probably an unwise strategy. Actually, I, I think so too. I'd love something small and concise and deliberate. One big pop from every publisher, yeah. right? I think four marquee title, maybe Ghost of Tsushima, maybe if that comes out, that would be cool. Yeah, to to, to push that to PS five. But again, it's probably not going to be pushed to PS five, and will still be playable on it. We have to work into our minds this new way of thinking about things. It's complicated because I I struggle with it too. We're, we're at a paradigm shift here. We're at an inflection point where we're going to have to start talking about launch lineups in a totally different way. And by the way, this might be the final PlayStation launch lineup you ever see, because after this, who the fuck knows what's going to happen with the brand? And it's going to be integrated in some weird shit. And you're going to be playing yeah. games on your phone. Right? So, <laughs> man, 
It, it, we're heading into weird territory. It's exciting. This next year is going to be cool. It's going to be very. It's it's awesome to be able to be a, to do a show like this for such a big audience that's so engaged because we're going to have a lot of exciting stuff to talk about moving forward. I hope we get NAC three. You might. We might. <laughs> we definitely will. Yeah, that would be <laughs> the, that would the, be nice. The marquee title. I never played NAC two, but it was NAC. Did you play NAC two? I did. Yeah. Oh, okay. I didn't finish it, but like I mean, it was NAC. I played the original NAC. It kept crashing, which is why I stopped playing it. Really? Yeah, it was like really fucked up at launch yeah. or maybe right before launch. So I never played too deeply into it. Mm. I liked what it was. I think people are a little too hard on that. We'll return to NAC one day and tell the true story about NAC. I don't know what that means, but we'll tell the real story yeah. about NAC one day. <laughs> one day real soon. Underappreciated heroes. They tried. They really did. Well, Chris, that's all I have for this episode of Sacred Symbols, the PlayStation podcast. All righty. We're going to head out now. Let's see if the medieval. Well, either way, we're going to have Chris do a little something with us this week. Yeah, Maybe we'll just send Chris home and wait until the medieval thing is not, it was live. And then we'll get that. Let's play up as soon as possible. I think that that's probably the best route. That's the most PlayStation centric route. Yeah, I think so, too. So I think we're, that's what we're going to do. So uh, remember, Sacred Symbols Plus this week will be just me. Go on to the Patreon. By the time you've heard this, there will be a new thread to solicit your questions, comments, concerns, thoughts and ideas about The Last of Us and The Last of Us 2. We'll do an entire episode surrounding what we hope from the game, what we've seen so far from it and all of that. And I'll leverage my unusual Last of Us expertise to make it quite listenable indeed. And knockback this week is all about The Last of Us as well. A three-hour episode all about The Good Last of Lord. Us with Dagan. It's a lot of Last of Us. It's a lot of Last the of Us. The podcast of us. You're, and after all of that, we're probably going to see the last of all of you because you can't take it anymore. <laughs> right? Uh, Chris, thank you for your time. Appreciate you. Of course. Thank you all out there for your love, kindness, and support, whether on free feeds or if you're not freeloaders, and we appreciate you, especially on Patreon. Thank you for that as well. We'll see you next time. Goodbye. Take care, guys. Sacred Symbols, a PlayStation podcast, is a product of and a registered trademark of Collins Last Stand LLC and is recorded right here in sunny Santa Monica, California, USA. This show is conceived by, is written by, and is produced by me, Colin Moriarty. My co-host is Chris Raygun. You can find me on Twitter at NoTaxation and on Instagram at CLS Moriarty. Chris is on Twitter at Chris R. Gunn and on Instagram at Chris underscore Ray underscore Gunn. Sacred Symbols is edited by Dustin Furman. Any snail mail can be sent to the CLS P.O. Box, P.O. Box 1233, Santa Monica, California, 90406. To message the show online, please use Patreon's DM service. As you know, all of Colin's Last Stand shows, including Sacred Symbols, are fan-funded on Patreon at patreon.com slash Stand. The following names are at the producer level or higher on Patreon, and we are eternally grateful for your kindness, generosity, and fandom. Chris Adams, Carlos Algarit, Morgan Ashley, Taylor Barkley, Adam Barnes, Martin Beck, Tyler Bellow, Eric Bishop, Mark Boggio, Andrew Bonnell, Barrett Boswell, Spencer Brand, Miguel Brewer, Lennon Brixey, Eric R. Brown, Jason Budnick, Josh Bushing, Austin Bullock, Dylan Burns, Chris Buston, Nick C., Alex Cabrera, Nick Calloway, Patrick Harper, William O'Carroll, Brian Chan, Sean Chandler, David Chestnut, Jeremy Cochran, Rodney Coleman, Simon Conception, Brad Cooley, John Cordero, Gio Corsi, Nick Cottrell, Philip Crone, Daniel D'Amore, Colin Davenport, Mitchell Durkash, Knight Draft, David Ellis, Liam Fagan, Jerome Ferreira, Joe Finelli, Eric Finkenbeiner, Chris Galvin, Connor Gashian, Alex Gates, Michael Gates, Salem Ghanem Al Ghanem, Tyler Goodwin, Josh Gravelick, Miranda Grubba, Jonathan H., Eric Harden, Tyler Harris, Kyle Hagel, Shane Hendrickson, Wyatt Henry, Robbie Hensley, Asa Haas, Johnny Humphrey, Stephen Insler, Blake Israel, Azan Isa Al Ricey, Josh Yeager, Garrett Jagger, Joshua Jonathan, Paul Joyce, Greg Julius, Sharo Kadir Hama Kareem, Anton Kay, Patrick Kelly, Jeremy Key, Antti Kinnanen, James Kinslow III, Ryan R. Kittredge, Kenneth Kopnick, 
Joshua Koga, Andre Kozhatska, Ron Krauskopf, Jackson Lastikwa, Joe Lawson, Don Q. Lee, Matthew Lenz, Jeffrey Leonard, Patrick Leslie, Dustin Lewis, Keith Adrian Lewis, Chad Lewis, Lou and Ray Loper, Colin Love, Josh M., Kiet Mai, Ryan T. Mandel, David Mann, Matt Martin, Michael Martinez, Sean Mason, Jordan Mouse, Zachariah McAdoo, John McCarthy, Josh McKinney, Joe McPartland, Philip J. Melk, Andrew Mendoza, Matthew Miller, Alex Moans, Chris Moore, Betty Ann Moriarty, Abe Mukhtar, Ryan Murdoch, Adam Nix, Donnie Nolan, George Anthony Nunez, Brian Ott, Jesse Owen, Jorge Palomino, Andrew Parker, Daniel Parsons, Marius S. Peterson, Gerald Pennington, Matthew Perdue, Enrique Perez, Jason Pettit, Travis Plymel, Jeff Pollard, Louis Powell, Lawrence F. Prokop, Nathan R., Ryan Reeves, Michael Renner, Peter Reynolds, Shane Rayum, Jonathan Rice, Mark Richardson, Daniel Rivas, Petro Rose, Jose Salinas, John Scholes, Michael Shanholtz, Toby Schutman, Alex Shute, Glendon Cole Simper, Joshua Smallwood, Daniel Streicharsk, Ahmad Tamar, Will Thielander, Ben Thompson, Ren Todd, Carl Tolman, Alan Trembley, Raymond Vargas, Michael Vecchio, Oakley Waldron, Justin Wagaman, Troy Walters, Connor Walton, Isaac Wastman, Damon Weathers, Mike Wayne, Corey Wyatt, Tony Zuniga, Bloody Fang, Hugo's Desk, Casual Misfits Gaming, Homeworld Hub, Throw7, McDog18, Infinite, Organic Produce, Mad Mock Media, Fabian, Not Your Real Dad, Mubarak, Richter86, Andrew, Ian, Chris, Dav9834, Scott, Rainick, and Donk2015. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs done well. I absolutely love this because you know if you own a home, it can be really hard to maintain. It's hard to find people that can help you for a big project or a small. Well, whether it's in everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality, it can be hard just to know where to start. But now all you need to do is answer that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish. Or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps, because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com.